Welcome to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Oh, a new episode coming to you practically almost semi-live, but without any preservatives. Man, we are on a two-week streak, baby. <laughs> two-week streak. Back-to-back episodes, although I'm not sure we're going to post them back-to-back. Have we posted last week's yet? Yep. It's up. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. It's up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't look. Yeah. Terrific. Well, we're going to absolutely shock our subscribers when... Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. They're going to get back-to-back shows. They're not this gonna is be- awesome. They're not, not going to believe it. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Well, it is Nate, and I'm glad to be here. I'm sad that we don't have Newton with us today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah uh, he's on his way home from Texas. His grandmother, uh, with whom he was very close. Yeah. She. He's talked about her in such affectionate terms for so long, uh, has admired that woman, so grateful for all that she contributed to his life. She's uh, She went to be with Jesus over the weekend, mm-hmm. just a few months short of her 101st birthday. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, Newton's on his way back from the funeral, so he's not here. But uh, but I'm here, and Mondo's here. Isn't uh, he? Yeah. And, and joining us uh, via telepathy, I think. Yes, Yes. <laughs> and and the interwebs, Aaron. Uh, how you feeling this week? You Aaron? look better, man. And out of bed, and for longer and longer periods of time. So still, yeah. still certain issues, but nothing. I mean, whole days out of bed. Are you kidding me? What's going on here? It's uh, good. Yeah. Although right, last well, night I couldn't sleep. I woke up about two, and. Uh, I don't know why, but I started thinking, you know, does everybody at some point see like an actor or a star and try to dress like them? I started thinking that. And I started thinking of both of you specifically at two o'clock in the morning. I thought, I got to remember to ask, did either of you try to dress up like and emulate some pop icon of your childhood? I want to know. Oh, good question, man. I, if I did, man, it's only during Halloween or something. Yeah. But I wasn't one to. It's funny you say that. Me. Okay. I had a conversation last night with my wife about the the craze at a. It said a concert, so I was flipping through the channels. I saw Taylor Swift's uh, Storytellers. Okay. Okay. So she plays a song, sits down, talks to the crowd. Very personable. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And to see the faces of some of these kids that idolize this woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I just said yesterday, I don't get it. Like, uh-huh. I could not go that crazy, make my life so much like yeah. any one person just because everybody knows who you are. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and, and so to your question, I don't think I did. I don't think I ever have and probably ever will. Yeah. Because um, I just don't I just don't get it. <laughs> and just like... Uh... You know, trying to get yourself looking just like them, but your style and yeah, because I was looking through well, old we, we pictures. We all follow trends, right? I mean, yeah. we all. F- well, I, I was I was insulated from pop culture as a kid. We were in the world, but not of it. We mm-hmm. were peculiar people. It was very important, for, and we didn't have a television. We didn't go to movies, and mm-hmm. so. Uh, you know, so a Beatles haircut or uh, any of that stuff was out for me. So I was reduced to emulating Pentecostal preachers, which is pretty <laughs> sad. I do remember my, you know, the pastor when I was in high school had a uh, had a plaid three-piece suit mm. and two-tone platform shoes and a big wide belt, uh, uh, like a tan belt. Mm. And and I thought he was the coolest guy in the world. Mm. And when it came time for me, I'm in Princeton. You know, it comes time for me to buy a suit. You know what I bought. You know what I bought. Yes, sir. Woo-hoo. Yeah, yeah. That is painful. And then, and then after that, started emulating college professors. So then it was it was corduroy jackets with uh, shoulder or with uh, yeah. uh, elbow patches. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And turtleneck sweaters. Oh yeah. And hush puppies. Yeah. Those jackets came back. I ha- I have one. Do you really? Yeah, I'm gonna wear it for you. And I tried, I tried the 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 pipe because that really would have made me into a theologian. Yes, I just couldn't pull it off. I yeah. just I just about choked to death on a pipe. What about you? Funny, no, my uh, my mom. We were always doing the skater thing. What 95. year did you graduate high school, Mama? <laughs> That's why. Oh, wow! I feel so uh, old. 
Okay. Wait, I'm in 65. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. No, so... So Mondo knows the the '80s generation. I don't know how much oh, it was yeah. happening up in Detroit, but like the the yeah. all the skulls yep. and the yeah. Peralta Bones Brigade stuff. So my my parents were very yeah. I know okay. we just spoke uh, people okay. who graduated the '90s language. You okay. you can look it up. There's I, a dictionary. I, I was deep into porn uh, at the time. Anyways, bro, go ahead. So. <laughs> No, I was just thinking of my mom when you were talking about the the dressing like them because that was, I guess, who we were emulating. And I remember there were these pants; they were loose fitting, you know, easy to do skateboard tricks and all that. Uh-huh. And they cost about sixty dollars, and there was no way my parents were going to spend sixty dollars on a pair of pants. Oh yeah, right. I never know. So my mom, this is this is the greatest story now, but so horrific then, calls one of the popular kids' moms that has all the cool stuff, yeah. asked oh, no. to borrow a pair oh, of no. his pants so she could make her, because she was always doing her own clothes, yeah, she'd yeah, make yeah. clothes. So she made her design off of his pants. Yeah. And then the the kind of khaki color was cool for those, but yeah. she she got gold. She just went a little too gold, a little farther than khaki into gold. And then because she knew cuffing was, you know, you cuff cuffing, the bottom yeah, of your pants, yeah, yeah. she thought, I'll just throw some elastic in there and he'll never have to cuff them and it'll do the same thing, oh, which is man. so true. But uh, so <laughs> oh, I had like God. gold, gold homemade pants with elastic on the bottom, which is like the greatest and by the way they looked exactly like them she totally pulled off the style of the pants yeah uh, well, if the color was yeah, yeah right the shine factor but <laughs> yeah but it's what yeah. what an amazing mom story a mom yeah. that would go out and make a pattern off of somebody's pants so that uh, that's true yet, love right there that is Dude, boy, mother- that takes that takes a lot of years of redoing that narrative though <laughs> oh yeah bro oh yeah no i remember my mother used to make our halloween costumes yeah especially if we wanted that 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 cool one that was very expensive that yeah, yeah, year yeah, yeah, yeah she yeah. was not dropping 30 40 50 dollars on a halloween costume yeah right right so right. she would make it and it was the most horrifying experience yeah. for me as a kid yeah, you know, I just I, I just stopped enjoying Halloween. I was just like, you know what, I, I just won't do it. Because, yeah. no, you're not going to say I'm a ghost and I have sheets on or you're, <laughs> you're making me a pirate and I look like the most, like, ghetto-fied, tacky pirate. <laughs> not doing it. Ghetto, ghetto pirate. There's a yeah, cartoon man. in there somewhere. Yeah. So, Yeah, well, uh, we've got a great guest coming in. You got... Uh, and turns out, Mondo, you already know the guy. Yeah, man. He's uh, great. He's great. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk. We're going to kind of talk about uh, authentic uh, community. We're going to touch on that, mm-hmm. about uh, uh, getting below kind of this mass-produced, trying to mass-produce experience, mass-produced mm-hmm. community. It really can't be done. It has to be mm-hmm. small batch. It has to be real. It has to be authentic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will tell you, just relate my latest uh, insight on this. I'm teaching a Sunday school class mm-hmm. at uh, Christ Community Church for a limited time, mm. 16 weeks, doing a thing called walking lessons. And it struck me uh, while we were away on this last trip that I had made a classic mistake. Here's a class of about 50 people. We can only put 50 people in the room. Um, and all the chairs are lined up kind of like a lecture hall, and I pretty much talk for an hour. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And so here we we have we have a chance we have a chance to actually have some interaction. Even though it's fifty people, that's a lot of people, mm-hmm. but it's not a thousand people right. that are in service, right? Right, exactly. And and what I was doing was I was replicating big church while we were in the room, just a few of us, mm-hmm. and uh, monopolizing the conversation, mm-hmm. and not. Uh, capitalizing on the opportunity we have for an hour there to actually these people who sit in church together in the big service now we actually have a chance to get to know each other a little bit right and so this sun uh, this sunday during sunday school class i still had a lesson i had i had prepared a lesson it's not like uh you know I, i didn't mail it in uh but i don't need to take an hour to give the lesson right and so we started out with some introduction. And thankfully, it was kind of an off week. I'd been gone for three weeks. It was spring break. We only had 30 people in the room this Sunday, okay. which was perfect. Right. And we started out. I taught them the little AA protocol. And we said hi to each other. And we said our names and why we were there. And, and then I gave the lesson. And then I freaking sat down. Nice. 
right? Nice, yeah. And we still had 10 minutes for people to uh, voice their own insights and their own thoughts, their own wisdom out of their own experience around the topic, and the topic last week was resentment. And I left feeling like that, that hour was so much more profitably uh, spent Mm-hmm. Than if than if I had merely tried to sh- spend an hour shoveling information right 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 toward fifty people right. um, but it's difficult once we get programmed into that's how church is done mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. to uh, whenever it's an official church gathering not to fall into that paradigm where I'm either talking or you know I'm either the guy in charge or I'm the person sitting. Yeah, that boy who got programmed. Yeah, and as as you're talking about these ahas that you're having, yeah, you know, thirty years later. Yeah, yeah. I'm just picturing Saint Nate railing at the bars in the prison you've put him in. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be the worst <laughs> thing in the world. But how many years it takes to go from that person trying to fake that thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To get right. to where you're like, oh yeah, that that made more sense and it felt more comfortable to not be St. Nate. Yeah, yeah. But it's a whole lot easier uh, not being St. Nate. It really yeah. is. Yeah. It's it's good to just be a member of the group. Mm-hmm. 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 And it's good to be a member of this group. Uh, I look, I really enjoy the time we get together and we, uh, and it's, uh, it's just great, it's great seeing your face, Mondo. Yeah, I hear you. Likewise, yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah. Not so much over there. But... No, not so much over there. Yeah. <laughs> Here. I quit again. Yeah, you're down and we keep you down. Okay. All right. Well, hang with us. You are not going to want to leave this show because yeah. uh, we got a great conversation coming up. We'll be back in just a moment here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. podcast and uh boy have we got a great interview today i I was put on to this fella by our good friend bunker we all love bunker it turns out john loves bunker and has probably more history with him than we do i think so yeah yeah i remember seeing bunker wearing a true true tunes jacket years ago yeah yeah that was me okay (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. i met i met dave when i was about 16 uh i was the music buyer at a religious bookstore in wheaton yeah yeah he was working for word records and he came in and you know, I, I had all these ideas. I wanted to open up a music store that had never really been done, a Christian music store, yeah, especially yeah, yeah. a Christian music store that wasn't really designed for churchy kind of people. Right, it was sure. My, yeah. my kind of people. Mm-hmm. And I had long hair and ripped jeans and was working in this mostly Catholic store. And Dave came in and was one of the first grown-ups in the music business who actually listened to everything I was say, totally encouraged me, yeah. said, you can actually do this. He wasn't saying... Any other kind of qualifiers. He, and yeah, he's yeah, been yeah. a mentor and a close friend ever since that day. Yeah. Cool. yeah 16 yeah. years old. That's 1986. And you know what? He's had a huge, profound impact in this town. He only lived here for a little while, a few years, but he was very instrumental instrumental in the formation and in the nurturing and the building uh, and the building of the culture of the Samson Society. Yeah. And uh, still continues to be a huge influence down here. So God bless Dave Bunker. <laughs> i got a funny samson related um i was i was trying to get to some samson uh hangs yeah many times before i lived here yeah. i was up in chicago yeah. but i was down here working all the time and there was one night in particular he there was a gathering at mccreary's yeah and he said you got to come you know and so i left really early from chicago in my old volvo because i was actually going to be living here on and off for about four months producing a record yeah and um Left really early, got somewhere south of Indianapolis, and 
I think my rear axle broke. It was a it was a twenty mm. five year old. Volvo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, got it actually fixed. Yeah. Got into town. The meeting was say at seven. Yeah. Roll into Nashville like seven fifteen. Go straight through. Go all yeah, the way yeah. to Franklin. And I literally go around that circle in downtown Franklin. I could not figure out which spur. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time I found McCreary's. Uh, and this is before everybody, you know, all had cell phones. Yeah, yeah. By the find, I, I find it. They're closing up. You guys had just left like, oh, like less than a minute. Oh, and I man. literally felt like Chevy Chase driving around that circle, like Parliament, <laughs> Big Ben. I'm going, I don't know which way to go. <laughs> so almost got to hang out with you guys back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only Nate now, had told you what he tells all visitors about understanding the directions and the north. Oh yeah, <laughs> so you got to remember. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that being that that the uh, the. Confederate soldier atop the war monument, his ass faces north. <laughs> that is not so you are never lost when you're going around that circle. <laughs> That's great. Now, John, you live in Nashville now. I do. And you wound up working, uh, I, uh, I guess, with Eddie DeGarmo, and mm -hmm. now you're yep. still at CMG. Eddie's retired. Yep, I am. I and am. what are you doing there? I'm in music publishing. Okay. Uh, I head up our whole roster of gospel songwriters. Okay. So I do, I'm the creative director in publishing. There's several of us. We all have different rosters. My world is black gospel music for the most part. Oh, wow. And then I do music supervision for films from time to time. So uh -huh. Last year I did three or four. This year, I, it, it comes and goes, yeah, so I'm yeah. not sure. That's a, a smaller part, but I enjoy it a lot. I really like working on the film, especially if I'm able to come in and help a movie be better yeah, <laughs> you know, with yeah, music, because yeah. music is music yeah. is such a critical part. But oh. I love doing the gospel stuff, too. It's been about two years I've been on. i got some hilarious stuff. I want to do a separate gospel <laughs> conversation. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's fun. It's cool. Now, I, what if, by the way, John uh, is the author of a new book. comes out just next month. It'll be it's just weeks away yep. and uh i got it on pdf earlier in the week and then he has presented me with a real live mm. look at that mm. three-dimensional uh, <laughs> analog yeah, yeah it's, what a fabulous book and the book is called jesus bread and chocolate crafting a handmade faith in a mass market world uh and i, I you know it's a pain in the neck reading a book scrolling through a pdf oh i'm sorry and i did it oh man i did it um uh, and uh, I, I hate to admit that I don't always read very carefully those things that are sent to me, but you hooked me right from the start. Oh, no. What Thank a great you. book. Thank you. Um, and you share, you do a wonderful job. It's part memoir. It's part uh, encyclopedia. It's part sermon. Yeah. It's a very entertaining and inspirational and challenging. Uh, a wonderful presentation of the gospel, especially for millennials. I'm going to buy a bunch of these to give to my kids and their friends, my 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 de-churched kids and go. their friends. <laughs> right. And I now, thanks to this book, understand a lot more clearly what it is about uh, the churches they were raised in and the churches that I spend a lot of my time in that just doesn't do it for my kids. Right. Yeah. Um, all right, so your story—I like—in some ways there are some parallels between our stories. You didn't—you didn't—you didn't grow up in a privileged, uh, wealthy home, did you? <laughs> no. No, no. 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 Well, privileged in a different sense. There uh, you um, go. I would say that there's a there's a awakening or a sort of something in the process of even writing on this. It dawned on me that I haven't really told the story about my early childhood very much because it's really it's so difficult and it's so complicated. And unless you have really time to sit uh -huh. and talk about it, yeah. uh, it's too easy for people to grab a little piece of it and misconstrue it or obsess over some yeah. of the more dramatic, darker things. Uh, and I really do realize that for all of the hurtful things that happened, the positives, the, the spiritual mm -hmm. leadership and the care that was in my life yeah. was just so much more abundant than the, right. that the pain that I was able to access that. And I look back at, this kind of odd path that I have been on and continue to be on. And I realized that had I had a more normal mm -hmm. uh, structure, I, I might not, I wouldn't be the same person that yeah. I am. But yeah, yeah my biological father uh, was a sociopathic criminal. He was a con man. He was an alcoholic. He was a, uh, just a mess. You know, he, yeah. he was abusive to my mom. It was right at the tail end. He was starting to get a little bit. Uh, I was pretty sure that eventually he would start hurting me you know, yeah. once I yeah. got a little bit mm -hmm. older. Um, 
my mom became a Christian at the tail end of the Jesus movement. Uh, mm-hmm. We grew up kind of in the Anglican tradition and then uh, this charismatic women's Bible study right. okay. uh, had a big influence on her. And so she got saved and had that. We So we had kind of that element in our home all the time, mm-hmm. all the early Christian music, the yeah. Andre Crouch and Randy Stonehill uh, and Honey Tree yeah. and all that stuff she, she listened to. Um, but then the other side was this kind of constant terror, you know, yeah. of my biological father. And, and he'd be gone for long stretches out doing what he did, and then he'd show up and it would everything would change. And so when I was 10, in order to protect us and herself, we had to end up going into hiding. He was so connected with mm-hmm. criminals around Illinois that uh, we left with yeah. no notice and, and uh, ended up living um, in a rescue mission for a while and then a Christian campground and then eventually the Chicago suburbs with my grandparents. But... I talk about it in the book, in a, and it was interesting because that wasn't originally my intention. Mm-hmm. I had no mm-hmm. outline that included any of my right. personal story. It was at the beginning, the book was very much my observations of the culture, my own mm-hmm. interest in these handcrafted things, mm-hmm. and then connecting some dots that yeah. I was thinking were important to connect. The publisher, my editor, really kept challenging me. Was to that get, Joel? Well, Joel was the first one, yeah. And yeah. he was at, at Thomas Nelson, and he wanted to do this book at Thomas Nelson, and then that's a whole other story. It kind okay. of fell apart. And then Carolyn McCready at Zondervan is the one who ended up signing me to do it there. Well, then uh, Thomas Nelson ended up getting bought by HarperCollins. So it's kind of (laughs) back in the same thing. Um, But yes, both Joel and Carolyn, were because of hanging out and hearing more of my story, they Mm -hmm. kept saying, you know, your story is what started this hunger you have for this authenticity. Yes. um, And so you really need to go there. My attitude was... Well, who am I? Nobody wants to read a memoir of me, you know. Yeah. Um, but they said, no, that's not really the point. It's about the story. You yes. Know? And so, so I went there, and um, and it's interesting. I probably wrote four times as much that I, I, uh-huh. up, I had to kind of write a whole lot oh, sure, yeah. to find the most important parts. So yeah, there's yeah. more of the story to tell mm-hmm. uh, down the road or at events or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, I have been uh, surprised at how powerful that story has been both for people mm-hmm. in recovery mm-hmm. uh, yeah. to find out the kid of, a, of an addict who uh, has been able to kind of um, make some sense yeah. out of this stuff. Also to people who are Gen Xers or younger who are disenfranchised from organized religion for yeah, yeah, other yeah. reasons. Um, so I, I'm realizing that there's some there's power in that and I need to tap yeah, into that power yeah, a little bit more yeah. often than I've been willing to do. It's just kind of a, it's a hard thing to talk about. You, know? you did a, you did a beautiful job doing it and it's highly effective. And, and if your experience matches mine, uh, I'm sure what you'll find is that people will connect with you personally mm-hmm. and then connect with what you're saying. And, and it's your story that lends special weight, uh, to the message you bring. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Hope so. That's fantastic. Um, so, Jesus, bread, and chocolate. Um, I, I will tell you this. You, you talk about a lot of things. You talk about coffee. You're a guy now. You roast your own beans. You make yep. coffee. It's, after reading the book, for the first time yesterday, I ordered a light roast coffee and did not... Uh, I didn't use your... your you, you killed me with... You, <laughs> you challenged me not to add pollutants to yeah, the right, coffee, right? right, 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 right. So I, I dropped sugar a long time ago, but no cream. Upon that order, your, your jeans shrunk to the size of your legs, the rims of your glasses got thicker, and Nate, you became a hipster. Just like that. <laughs> no, okay, so yesterday I had, I had a light roast coffee with no cream. This morning I paid $6.50 damn cents... <laughs> For a Chemex. Oh, that's the ticket. Huh? Chemex is the best. Yeah, that's the yeah. best way to broke it. And then watching the scientific precision mm-hmm. with which yeah. this young man crafted this cup of coffee. Yeah. I mean, he had a digital scale. Yep. He was, I mean, he was, it was, and then, oh, it was amazing. It took him about 15 minutes to make that cup of coffee, but it was good. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that you kind of touch on something right there. If something's really good... Is it worth taking a little bit more time yeah. to do it? Is it worth spending a little bit more if it has more value? Yeah. And that's really the reason I talk. I, yes, I'm obsessive about coffee, and and I roast my own coffee. And I, uh, <laughs> you come to our house and you see a Chemex and a Clever and this new Japanese thing we haven't used yet. That's uh-huh. uh, some other kind of pour-over thing. I've got the only drip coffee maker that the Specialty Coffee Association actually certifies. And uh yeah, we're a little bit crazy with coffee, but but the 
there's a set of values behind it. There's a hospitality value that mm -hmm. we love it when people come to our house for our home group, for our fellowship time that they say, well, the best coffee in town is at our house. Yeah. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so that's kind of the, 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 is it worth 15 minutes to have a better cup of coffee than uh, something cheap at a window that a person hands you in styrofoam? Yeah. I think the same question there applies to how we form our relationships. Is it worth 15 minutes to actually be on the phone with someone and talk or to get together in person yeah, versus yeah. A, a text or a tweet or, yeah. you know, something yeah. like that. We're, we're just becoming such a small, fast, manufactured digital yeah. species yeah. that uh, we're missing out on a lot of really great stuff. So I use those things because, yes, I'm interested, but there's also each one of them is yeah. connected to another kind of value that I try to dig in. Well, here's what I noticed this morning. I've been buying coffee, ordering coffee, cups of coffee, drip coffee from this kid now for months. And today I order Chemex. And his eyes get wide, and he went, Chemex? And I said, yes. And so he th thanked me profusely um, for ordering the Chemex. I mean, he had, we, had, we made a connection this morning that we never, wow. I mean, it's just been this quick yep. thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Around, right? Yeah, man. And he, and he got to do something creative and beautiful. Mm, I, got to, yeah. I got to taste an extraordinarily good cup of coffee. So thank you. Okay. <laughs> Next now, time I'll bring my Chemex and yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I love that you talk about you, you, you talk about, uh, for example, bread. Uh, yeah. What's happened to bread, and then how does bread bear on the gospel? Well, you know that that's actually kind of the conversation that kicked off the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I was still living in Chicago. This is over ten years ago, close to fifteen years ago. A friend of mine was a baker. Yeah. Uh, he was also a musician went to our church and he, whenever he came to our house or to church, he brought this incredible food, this bread yeah. that was either sweet apple breads or really rich rye breads. But he just made this incredible bread. And one night in the kitchen, I was just saying, you got to tell me how you make this. Like, I want to know how to do this. Yeah. Because if you make it and you're just a guy. Yeah. Like what, <laughs> well, like, I, I, you know, you kind of grow up thinking only some sort of special ninjas <laughs> can do this right? in a special factory. Like, yeah. you can't make bread, right? Uh -huh. And he said, oh, no, no. And he, he said something that just knocked me out. He said, you know, they've only been making bread in factories and wrapping it in plastic for, you know, 50, 60 years. He said, uh, for thousands of years, bread has been one of the focal points of every local culture. And so every bread tasted different. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and then he said, you know, bread, if you made it right and it had the, all the right nutrition in it, it didn't last very long. Yeah. You, know, you made it every day. And then the second day, you could use it for some other things. You could use it for croutons or you could use it yeah. for yeah. something like that. By the third day, you were feeding it to your chickens and then you were eating your chickens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so he... Uh, and the circle he, of life. That's <laughs> a beautiful story. <laughs> so he... Uh, he was telling me that, and, and I said something. I said, boy, it really seems like the church, because I, I was immediately connecting white breads pre-sliced in a plastic bag to the way I felt about church. modern Christianity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, right. it's convenient. Right. It keeps your hands from getting dirty. Uh, yeah. You know, but it really has no flavor to it. It has no sustenance. It's really just fluff sugar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I said, it really seems like the church has absorbed more of the values of the Industrial Revolution than it helped to shape those values. Right. And John, the, the baker, was like, whoa, you know, yeah. that, that seems uh, important. And yeah. so I started, to, I started to kind of obsess over that idea and start to analyze my own faith and say, okay, we're all a product of a bunch of values that are floating around in the air of our culture. We absorb most of it passively. Yeah. Very rarely do we get any of the good stuff passively. We get the bad stuff. And so I started to analyze and identify kind of a set of values of industrialism about convenience, about marketability, about mm -hmm. consistency. You know, you want something to be the same everywhere. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. want to beat out all of the yeah, imperfections. Yeah. Um, scale you want something to be as big as possible you know it's yeah. not good enough to make the best beer in this town you got to make the best beer for the whole world yeah right? right and the more of those values i identified and this was just in my own kind of personal reflection time the more i saw that they were directly antithetical to the values of the gospel as yeah. it was brought by christ so i started to see a direct contrast on each of those values if i mm -hmm. can see it on one it's about scale and say the industrial revolution was all about taking everything to the highest scale possible right the gospel is really about an individual 
uh, community, not sure. a, not necessarily an individual person, because we're part of a body. So even at the individual level, there's a connectivity with other people. I grew up in this personal relationship with Jesus generation, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, was disconnected from the uh, the larger body in my mind, but still thinking that. Uh, relationships don't scale we've only yeah. got a certain capacity for very good relationships. yeah yeah and so that started to, the dominoes going and then as i realized that i didn't pr- find my interest in coffee all that spiritual at first there's a funny story about my first cup of coffee right? oh i love but, it uh, yeah um there's my interest in brewing my own beer and uh finding friends and latching on to local sustainable mm-hmm. products mm-hmm. I didn't see them as being spiritual until I got a little bit of perspective on it and realized the same values that are driving a lot of people in our culture, many who don't consider themselves to be Christians or religious at all, those same values that are attracting them are actually the values of the gospel. But they haven't been presented in that way. So we have a whole bunch of people who say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Uh, They reject Christianity. but I don't know that they're really rejecting the gospel because, frankly, I don't know if they've ever encountered it. Right, I think yeah. they're rejecting the Walmart chain-marketed... Industrialized. Yeah, right. industrialized yeah. version yeah. of Christianity, which really has more to do with Christendom and the idea of the church running the world now. And yeah. There's all kinds of stuff like that. So the bread thing, I mean, then with bread, it's obvious. As soon as you start thinking about bread, you're, you've got Jesus calling himself the bread, bread of life. Bread. You've got yeah. manna. And so I kind of trace the story of bread through the Bible, and yeah. I also trace the story of bread through industrialism and kind of how it got to where it is now. And I can I can see all these points, and I, I try my best to connect those in a way that would make someone at the end feel hungry for some really, really good bread yeah. and feel hungry for the kind of faith that's more along the lines of a rich, whole grain, the kind of thing you're going to have to trust God for every day. Yeah. Right. It's not designed to sit on a store shelf wrapped in plastic for a month and yeah. still be fine, you know. Um, those are the kind of ideas that started to provoke. And then I thought, oh, well, the, this applies to beer. Oh, wait, I met a friend who makes chocolate. This applies to chocolate. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So check yeah. it out from there. Yeah. Wow. There could be some great recovery groups on this, Nate, that you could kind of combine your passions from masturbator to master baker. Like, it could be like, <laughs> you could do some really cool stuff on that. Okay. I'm just, I'm, uh, I'm spitballing here as we transition because okay. I'm excited. I think that's it. I think that's a really good, and, and the recovery thing, I also, in the last few years, I started writing articles uh, just as side work yeah. for a network of rehab programs, and it's uh-huh. been everything about drugs, alcohol addiction, as well as behavioral addictions. Yeah, that's right. and I've written 2,000 articles for this network, and it's like <laughs> almost 2 million words, and um, it does occur to me that the the addiction problem, whether it be sexual addiction, substance abuse, right. uh, gambling, whatever is also connected to this, that when we're crafting our life and we're connected yes. to the giver of all good things, uh, we tend to be more satisfied with with that mm-hmm. stuff. We're not looking for the constant gorge yes. that comes from eating too much or drinking too much because we're satisfied. Yeah. And the problem with addiction is you're never satisfied. Right, you know? right, and right, so right. whether you're talking about relationships, marriage, sex, uh, there's a way to have that even be practiced in a an analog whole grain kind of way yeah. that makes sense you know yeah. and so i'm trying to rescue some of these really good things mm. uh and the all these addiction articles there's times when i realized the addiction language kind of showed up in the book which probably unavoidable but i left it i felt like you know for yeah. people i i have this one line that when i wrote it i it's ever have this thing where you you say something <laughs> and you go did i just say that <laughs> so there's nothing uh there's no good thing that sin can't twist into a pair of handcuffs yeah. outside of Christ himself. You know, so yeah. all these things, food and sex, and it's all designed for something good, but our brokenness turns it into a, a, yeah. a problem. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you cover so – I love the way you just keep broadening the conversation, deepening the point, bringing – you talk as well about uh, about music. How mm-hmm. does music connect here? Well, mass market music. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I noticed this about my kids, my grown kids. Uh, you know, my son brews beer, uh, makes bacon, bakes his bread, has a garden in his backyard, and and this kid who was a, uh, uh, I forget the genre of music when he was young. It was just kind of like screaming stuff. Screamo. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically, uh, he was a he was a lead singer in a band. It was convenient because he can't 
carry a note, but he could he could bring passion to the yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And now he's he he's an Americana freak, yeah. right? Loves yeah. it. Same here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how does music fit into this? Well, um, obviously, my whole life has been mm-hmm. my professional life since I was 16 years old has been centered around music. Yeah. So uh, I didn't necessarily. That's another thing I didn't connect that dot until later in the process of thinking through this book that. All the things I was craving about uh, really good handmade food or drink mm-hmm. was the same reason that when I was a kid, I had been hungry for music that had fresh, interesting ideas that was real, that wasn't full of preservatives, that wasn't didn't sound like it came from a factory. It wasn't auto-tuned. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> like there's, there's uh, it really applies on a lot of uh, genres because yeah. I didn't grow up with a tight group of friends that would tell me what I was and wasn't allowed to listen to. Yeah. So... I tell some story. I loved James Brown and I loved the Isley Brothers and Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Is it? I found it on the radio. And then I also loved Bob Dylan because he scared me. Like yeah. his lyrics scared me in a, in, a, in a way I felt was important to be scared. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and then I loved Andre Crouch when I was a kid. I liked the gospel sound of that, sure. but I also liked Thin Lizzy and, you know, Bad yeah. Company and hard rock stuff and Boston and the melodic stacks of harmony. So, I realized, though, that when I found this world of underground faith-based music, there was Mm. artists that were way too rock and roll for Christian music, for the church culture. And they were way too spiritually minded for the general market. They were just in this island of misfit toys. Artists like Daniel Amos and the 77s and um, Phil Keggy and people that occasionally bumped up against the the CCM industry, but mm-hmm. a lot of their career was just kind of mm-hmm. outside of that. Right. And so I actually started a business when I was 19 called True Tunes that was all about kind of finding the truth in music, not worrying about so much the labels. Yeah. Uh, but the authenticity, Mark Hurd. And, yeah. And then the way you 2 even kind of authentically brought their faith into their art as well as into their social justice stuff. It was all very inspiring. And I realized that the same things I'd been recently craving and seeking out in food and drink and hospitality was the same stuff I'd been passionate about music yeah. my whole life. Well, since I was you know really little. And yeah. uh, that music is still in the margins. Yeah. But ironically, now we have access to all of it. We have, because of digital stuff, We mm. it's not as difficult to find as it used to be, but there's just this needle in a haystack mentality. And I used to have 50,000 readers to the magazine and you know, if I talked about some independent artist, that could actually help them yeah. get a career. Now, I kind of am hoping in the conversation with this book and stuff to reconvene a community of mm-hmm. folks that are going, in general, I'd, I'd like to hear some more authentic music. Yeah. Frankly, uh, there's some great gospel music that a lot of white people that listen to Americana would love if they had a chance to hear it. But yeah. it's just not, yeah. they're not hearing about it. Yeah. Um, there's some great worship music that's coming out of the contemporary worship scene and the major labels and the publishers stuff I work in. That's actually really good uh-huh. that a lot of outsiders would probably like if they ever had a chance to get to it. But right. there's just no channels reaching them because uh-huh. the only channel left is Christian radio. Mm. And then there's moms that love to listen to upbeat, happy, uh, very clean sounding CCM music. And mm-hmm. I've got a wife. We've got four kids. Like, I know how stressful. Now, she doesn't listen to that kind of music too much, but I don't want to begrudge anybody any kind of music that's going to make their day a little richer and a little bit better, you know? Sure. So there's a place for all of that stuff. And I'm. it's it's interesting that I've kind of thought about going in different directions mm-hmm. professionally, mm-hmm. and God keeps keeping me here. So I still end up working in this industry, and I, I feel like I have something to... Uh, to offer but yeah. there's i know the songwriters i know industry people i know people that i work with all the time that are in the biggest christian music company and they desire authenticity they want to hear uh the truth they want to hear this so i'm hoping that there's a, an answer about to present itself through the spotify streaming kind of realm to we can kind of gather like-minded people together and and start to appreciate and honor and then people could have a career making music that's whole grain yeah you know, but still mm-hmm. has their uh, their faith in it. Americana is great for that because it's authentic kind of by nature. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, and I think a couple of years ago when you saw Mumford & Sons blow up, you saw this pendulum swing really far back yeah. out of the the T-Pain kind of like oh, vocorder, yeah. <laughs> like totally artificial robot-sounding music, and it just swung way back yeah. to overalls and mustaches and banjos and, you know. Yep. 
uh, and it can get a little silly too. Yeah. I mean, it can, yeah. <laughs> like you're talking about, like he's talking about with the uh, the glasses and the skinny yeah. jeans and stuff. I mean, there's definitely a uh, an aspect of that that's a little bit funny, um, but it's because there's a hunger for something authentic, and they're going right. to try. I mean, if, if that means right. growing handlebar mustache, yeah. you know, they're fishing for it. Right? <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah, they're fishing for yeah, it. What's behind that? You know, what, yeah. is, what is it? What are they really looking for? And can we have that conversation? And, and I think we can. Yeah. Us, we're just sick in bed. Zoe grew mustaches because we were bored. Can't believe <laughs> I come here to be judged by you people. <laughs> I'm out of here. Uh, yeah um you know one of the things that we we uh, that i've discovered in recovery and as i talk about uh, recovery with with other guys uh when we talk about what uh, we have in common those of us who describe ourselves as addicts or recovering addicts doesn't matter what our presenting behavior was Mm -hmm. or or remains all of us lived isolated lives Mm -hmm. And the way to freedom, there's no solo way to freedom. It's only through connection and a willingness not to make an artificial connection, to drop the persona, to stop performing. And you're not going to do that until you find a safe place to do it. And for most of us, the church we grew up in sure didn't feel as though it was that safe place. But Samson and a lot of churches now, a lot of uh, uh, Christian groups are becoming safe enough that you can bring your real self, right? And it's there in the formation of uh, and maintenance of actual, real, uh, heart-to-heart relationship that we can kind of carry each other down the road toward freedom. Does that square with your experience? And if so, how does your uh, how does your spiritual how do you participate these days in the body of Christ, you and your family? Yeah, it, it absolutely rings true. Uh, I was like I, I sort of mentioned I I was privileged in a lot of ways, and one of the ways is that growing up in the uh, Anglican Church, the Episcopal Church, I had this, I think, a very strong theological grid to work from mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. all of the boundaries that res- that make a lot of my more fundamentalist teenage yeah. friends at the time feel like they had this compulsive need to jump out. And so there's that. And then when I was about 18, I found a church uh, in Aurora, Illinois, called The Warehouse. And it was pastors from a variety of theological backgrounds. It was an inner city church, really targeting the kind of rock and roll crowd originally, but very quickly became uh, the neighborhood that we were in, which sure. was the worst mm-hmm. neighborhood in Aurora, and it was the second largest city in Illinois. So uh, I fell in with that crew and really was exposed to a small enough community of people that you really could be mm-hmm. your true self. And even when our larger group would get together it was only ever a hundred hundred and a quarter but the small group 10 or 12 people in our home really became the the heartbeat of our spiritual life and so um in our family our our family is critically important and our home group feels like it's just an extension of our family yeah and then our involvement in the larger body of christ flows out of that as opposed to this inverted factory mindset which is i belong to this factory (laughs) i belong to this team um we kind of have tried to turn that upside down so we're we're involved with a local church called the village chapel here in Mm -hmm. nashville and Mm -hmm. and we lead a home group and then we're involved in lots of other ways with individuals and you know Mm -hmm. making sure to maintain that because the the same values that i think people are are seeking out locally made food or locally grown Mm -hmm. produce or handmade chocolate yeah. uh, is the way they really kind of want to pursue their spiritual formation too. And it's frankly the only way I think it works. Absolutely. I think there's things we can do in a bigger scale that are great. Yeah. It's great to have a large group of people get motivated to change public position on something, yeah. to right. go you know, dig a million wells in Africa or something. Yeah. You know, there's a lot that a big group of people can do. But when it comes to transforming character, that comes through close contact over an extended period of time. Yeah. And that's the artisan way. If I wanted to become an expert woodworker like my friend Chris Barber, mm-hmm. I was at his shop yesterday, and I talked to him in the book. But this yeah. guy makes tables that are worth thousands of dollars. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I could go to Ikea or Target and buy a table for practically nothing, and in a few years it's going to fall apart. Just like the community or the friendships that we have that are right. kind of cheap and easy, that you yeah. throw it together – it's kind of artificial. Chris's tables will last, and yeah. they're in museums. I mean, people buy those things as works of art. You know? yeah. And But if I wanted to be able to do what he does, 
I would just need to spend a lot of time with him watching him use mm -hmm. his tools, watching yeah. what he does. I don't just look at a quick five-step video on the internet or you know, and then call myself a woodworker and go yeah. do it. I could be, I could dabble. Yeah. But if I want to be a master, yeah. I really need to follow in the footsteps of a master. And that's yeah. the way we as spiritual leaders should be transferring that to a mm. small number of people is let them walk in our footsteps. And also the thing about the master is when he makes a mistake, he doesn't hide it. Yeah. He you know, it's like yeah. he he know okay this is uh, we're going to do something creative here we're going to fix this. Yeah. Um, and the people his disciples his you know followers are going to see that stuff because they're up close. Yeah. The distance that happens from one pastor with thousands of followers is just a huge problem because now there's this kind of projection that has to happen in order for the pastor to effectively yeah be that that leader. Yeah. And the projection is where that that falseness that's the that's yeah. the that's the risk zone yeah um because there's isolation there and he's now alone with a projector behind him making a shadow that looks much bigger than he really is yeah, yeah. i got no, 12 people in my house yeah i can i can only act big for a few minutes yeah. <laughs> yeah. they're gonna they're gonna know and uh yeah. and it's also about me learning from them it's not just a top-down yes. approach yes. so yeah yeah i think all of these things bread coffee chocolate beer it's all about taking it small, finding its essence, protecting its essence, yeah. learning it, mastering it, and then serving your neighbor with it yeah. instead of saying, how can I make as much money as possible? How can I make this as big as possible? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Speaking of beer, uh, I do want to come over sometime for some chocolate bourbon milk, milk stout. stout. Oh. Yeah, I just made a batch actually right now. Oh. It's, it's, uh, it's, that... I'm racking it tomorrow, and it will be available for the oh. for the, the book launch party. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's uh, something else. Man, <laughs> yeah. that's Man. amazing. Um, yeah, and I appreciate uh, I appreciate you the the chapter on beer. I had to smile with uh, some of your experiences with you know folks within our community who have a problem with alcohol and kind of the mm -hmm. you know you've hit some headwinds in earlier years. <laughs> uh, even yeah. in Samson and the Pirate Monks when we wrote that, uh, because we said that after the meeting we go to a pub for a meeting. After the meeting, I had to actually insert a two-page defense in the book for the moderate consumption of alcohol. Right. You did a you did a very fine job uh, uh, doing that. Uh, reclaiming that gift for for us, uh, and you know, mm -hmm. God gave us it's a gift, wine and beer. Yeah. yeah, it's a I, gift, but like any other gift, like it, I said, it can be twisted into a pair, a pair of handcuffs. handcuffs. And yeah. our our service and our our treating other people as being more important mm -hmm. than ourselves demands that at times, right, we know when is inappropriate. Right, and, sure. And for as a recovering Pharisee, <laughs> which is a, <laughs> another recurring theme in the book, yeah, it was important for beer and the concept of wine and alcohol yeah. to be redeemed in my life because I had this terrible experience as a kid. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, it's there's a healthy way to do it and there's a lot of unhealthy healthy ways, ways to just do like it. everything else. Same thing <laughs> with chocolate. I mean, you, you know, there's times you just don't put the chocolate out because yeah. you know the problem that somebody mm -hmm. that you love has with yeah. sugar and, yeah. you know, it's like, so um, it's so much harder to cultivate balance and discernment than it is to just set up walls and rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, okay, the, the title of the book, again, is Jesus, Bread, and Chocolate. The author is John J. Thompson. Um, if you have had uh, an ongoing experience with addiction in your life, then uh, I can tell you this. You've been living on empty calories. And uh, the cure is not starvation. Uh, the cure is uh, finding good nutrition. And there is wonderful nutrition in this book. So I urge you, uh, it'll be in fine bookstores everywhere, won't it? Yeah, it'll be. Uh, we'll, and it'll be available we'll on Amazon. Yeah, <laughs> it okay. should be. It's jesusbreadchocolate.com is the website. So that'll link to all the online places you can get or you can buy it right from me. And cool. Um, got some fun packages. Even have some that include an Olive and Sinclair chocolate bar. In Ooh, there, really? Kind of All right. Yeah. I, I don't want to go to jail, so I can't put beer in the mail. But okay, yeah. okay. All right. You, you didn't get chocolate, Nate. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get chocolate. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm gonna get beer. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> John, thank you for joining us. Thank it's you. been a Thanks privilege. Uh, Excited. And uh, yeah, and I look forward to a, to a follow up visit. We're, Let's do it. Yeah, man. Yeah. For sure. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And we'll be back in just a moment here on the Pirate Monk Podcast.
And we're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. By the way, if uh, you were intrigued by John and would like to read that book and your bookstore doesn't have it yet, there is a sneaky way that you can get a copy. You can write us a letter at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Send us a letter and include your mailing address, and we will send back to you Mm A copy now. Uh, there's got to be some time. Uh, this has got this offer expires. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. this podcast is going to be up forever. Yeah. So why don't we say for the next two weeks? All right. If anybody writes us within the next two weeks, before I'll tell you what, before the book launch, there is a formal public book launch uh, for Jesus Bread and Chocolate at the Black Abbey Brewing Company. Have you been there yet? Yep. yep. Fantastical. Some, Wonderful believers, yeah. guys uh, have, and and John talks about them in the book. Uh, there, uh, so the book launch is going to be at Bra- Black Abbey Brewing on Monday, March thirtieth at six p.m. from yeah. six to nine. It's free. It's open to the public. See about ten days. Yeah. So uh, between now and March thirtieth, if you shoot us an email at Samson or at uh, Pirate Monk Podcast at Gmail dot com. Include your name and address. We will send you a complimentary yes. copy of the book. I gotta say, man, the the wrap, the uh, the cover looks like a chocolate wrapper. Yeah, isn't that fantastic? It looks. Um, yeah, I, I want some chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, uh, if it's after March 30th, you don't have the time or the inclination to call. Just go to JesusBreadChocolate.com. You can find out more about the book. If you want to follow John on Twitter, uh, his handle is at John J. Thompson. Thompson with a P. All right. Yeah. Uh, and we would love to hear from you anytime, of course, here on the podcast. Yes, indeed. So drop us a line. Uh, pray for us when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, we can always use... Post on Facebook. Or, or oh, yeah, yeah. Go Come see us on the Facebook page yeah. or uh, tweet at us somewhere. Yes, yeah. Pirate Monk Podcast, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so until next time, uh, I'm Nate. Mondo. Aaron. <laughs> We send you some vitamin C, brother. Or uh, some echinacea or something. We are your friends here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. You look pretty in your fancy dress, but I detect unhappiness. You never speak, so I have to guess you're not free.